You're listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. For more information on services and events at our Simpsonville and Greenville locations, visit us online at therenovation.church. Today's message is presented by our Simpsonville teaching pastor, Jason Thompson. Good morning. It's so great to see you guys this morning. Um, we are continuing our series called Servant's Heart, and this, today's topic is on humility. And so Jeremy asked me to fill in because he knows that I am by far the most qualified person to speak on the topic. Um, of Hands down, of all the people on our staff, I am the most humble. I'm kind of like the Michael Jordan of humility. And so they, they decided to, now clearly I am joking. The only way I'm the most qualified is because I have the most personal life experiences to show you what it does not look like. And so uh, that's, that's kind of been my story. Um, when I was a teacher for Lakeview Middle School, I was an eighth grade English teacher, and I was a really good basketball player in my 20s. There were very few people that I knew that could beat me. And yet, all of these middle schoolers thought that they could take me down. They were just convinced that they could beat me. And I had one kid in particular that would not let it go, just kept talking trash. I, I would smoke you, Mr. Thompson, I would smoke you. And he, didn't even make the middle school team. Like, he got cut from the team. So he wasn't even, like, one of the top 12 players from the school, but he just kept going. And finally, I was like, you know, and if I was humble, I would just probably just smiled and waved and said, that's nice. But, but, I said, look, kid, I will beat you any place at any time, and I will beat you so bad that I will make your mama cry, all right? <laughs> And, and so he was like, oh, oh, it's on now, Mr. Thompson. Oh, you could beat me anywhere? No one beats me at my house. You come to my house and my basketball court, I guarantee I'll beat you. I'm like, all right. So Saturday morning, I pull up to this kid's house, all right? Never been there before. His mama gave me some cookies, had some cookies and milk. We went out back in his backyard, which he had a portable goal with just dirt ground and grass. And... I beat him 21 to one with his mama and his older brother inside laughing at him through the window. And after the game, he's just like downcast. He's like, man, Mr. Thompson, why you gotta do me like that? And I was like, just to let you know, everyone at school is gonna know about this too, all right? Because that, that's how I rolled. You did not tell me. And so that is the opposite of humility. But in all seriousness, we're gonna look at what it actually looks like. And we're gonna look at what scripture tells us. And I, I'm excited about today's, these passages. I, uh, two passages, they're familiar to you, but there are not two better passages I can think of that speak to this issue of humility and why it is so significant and why we need to take this to heart. And so we're going to start in uh, Philippians, Philippians chapter two. Paul is speaking to the church of Philippi and he's, he is laying it on thick. I mean, he is really trying to communicate how important this attribute is to being a follower of Christ, to living as Christ called us to live. So li listen to how he phrases this, starting with verse one. I'm gonna be reading from the ESV, so if you have a Bible app, um, that's the one you wanna choose to follow along with, um, but otherwise you can listen, and, but uh, I'd love for you to follow along. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, 
being in full accord and of one mind. I mean, essentially he's saying if there's any benefit to this whole Christianity thing, if there's any benefit from having the Spirit, all right, then do this for me. Be of one mind. Imagine a church that had one heart, one love, one mind. And then he describes what that heart should look like. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Paul is teaching them and he's, he's coming at an angle. He, he's like, this is what you do. Act with humility. Treat others as more significant as yourselves. Put their interests and their needs ahead of your own. And then why, why do we do this? He doesn't say because this is the kind thing. He doesn't even just give them this is the right thing. He gives them a profound theological reason for doing this. And he says, look, we serve a God who did not think that his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence was something to hold onto. But he emptied himself and took on, he assumed the form of a man. Now, Jesus, the Son of God, was God in fullness of form. With all honor, all glory, all power, he was that way. And afterwards, he was still God. But this is the point that Paul is making, all right? Jesus was willing to take on humanity. He became a man with man limitations, now, he still had access to all power, but he could not be the same form that he was, and he did not have the same glory in his human form. He was willing to become a helpless baby, confined to the limitations that we have on this to be able to need sleep, to need to eat, to get weak, to be stressed, all these things he was willing to take on himself. And so, Think of how mind-blowing this is, that you have this all-powerful God that because his very character is so full of humility that this was, not, this was not a problem for him. 
This is something that he was willing to do. We cannot relate to that gap that he went. Now, we can humble ourselves, but that gap is incomprehensible. We cannot experience that. But for Jesus, it was not a thing to be grasped. The better way was to humble himself, even to the point of the cross where he died a humiliating, painful death with people spitting on him and mocking him. And the end result was once he went through that humbling process, he came out the other side with even more honor and glory than he had. And all authority and all power was given to him. And Paul is saying this, this is why we do these things. And I know you know my other, other passage. It's very familiar. It's John 13 where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. But there is, I mean, this act is just mind-blowing. And I, I know you know the story, and I know you know the application, but I'm gonna ask you to kind of read this with fresh eyes. Think about the significance of here of what Jesus is doing, and let this sink in. Go from our minds to our hearts. It says this in verse one. Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. I love how John prefaces this. He's like, so Jesus, knowing exactly who he is, knowing exactly where he came from, knowing exactly what his purpose was, knowing that the Father had given him all honor and glory and all authority and all power, got up from the supper table and this is what he did. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. We'll pause here for a second. This is... Jesus is working on a level that these disciples do not understand. But washing feet was what, what the lowest of the slaves would do in a, in a household, all right? So you would have your lowest tiered slaves, they were the ones in charge of washing feet because washing feet was disgusting. 
I mean, feet are kind of gross, period, all right? But back then, when everyone walked around in sandals and walked dirty streets filled with, with trash, all right, those feet were really gross. And so you can th- see the disciples, this is their, their rabbi. This is, this is who they are following. This is the one that they are giving great esteem and honor. And they see this man strip down his outer garments, all right, and get down on his hands and knees and start doing this task that only the lowest of the servants do. And so you can imagine how uncomfortable this was for the disciples, they did not want him to do this. And Peter was bold enough that when he came around, he, he spoke up. He's like, Jesus, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, I, I have to wash your feet. If you don't let me wash you, then you'll have no part of me. And so, of course, Peter being, you know, the one that wants to be ahead, and he goes all out, and he, he says, well, wash all of me. And Jesus says some very profound things, and I want to kind of explain what he's talking about here. Essentially, he, he's referring to the metaphor of, of baptism and the metaphor of salvation. And he says, once you have been cleaned, you only have to be cleaned one time. You only have to come to me, confess your sin, and confess me as Lord and Savior, then I will wipe your sins away. I will make you clean. I will give you eternal life. And then you are secure in the Father from that point forward because you assume Jesus' righteousness. That's why when we get baptized, we get baptized once, post-conversion. That's what uh, our, our church believes. We do that because your baptism is a symbol of Christ's death and resurrection. And we don't keep getting baptized just because we you know, fall back, you know, backslide or, or mess up. We don't keep getting baptized because we don't keep crucifying our Lord and, and making him resurrect again. He only did that once. He, he paid for all the sins at that one time and it's done. What the Bible does encourage though is that once that you have been washed, we, we, we still get dirty, all right? We still sin, we still mess up, we still make mistakes. And when that happens, Jesus wants us to come back and confess and repent. Just turn from our sins, confess it, and, and he, will, he will make us right. He'll forgive us and, and move us forward. And that's what he's talking about here. Jesus is working on a different level theologically with this. And so he's explaining this to him. But then he explains what he's doing. And then, he, of course, he's talking about not clean because Judas is still in the room here, which is also a fascinating thing to think that you have this trusted friend that's been with you for three years who you know is going to betray you and you still get down on your hands and knees and wash this enemy's feet. But that's the God we serve. So then he explains what he's doing. Verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. He lays it out. He says, I just modeled for you how you're supposed to do this life. This is what I expect from you. If you wanna be great in my kingdom, you have to serve others. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes. You have to love them like I have loved them and humble yourself in front of them like I have humbled myself. This is the only way to be one of my followers. And again, the application is so clear. It's, it's easy, but living life, sometimes it's hard to apply. It's, humility is kind of like that word love. Like everyone uses the word love and it has so many different connotations and people mean so many different things when they throw it out there. What, what is love? And, you know, and what, is, what does humility look like? We know what it doesn't look like and yeah, we can maybe say what humility is, but sometimes it's conflated because we think of, you know, people that are humbled, you know, that has a bad connotation. And, you know, sometimes you just have this idea of weakness because, oh man, people are brought low and humbled and that kind of stuff. But that's not the humility that Jesus is talking about. Humility is strength under control. Humility is knowing the ability that you have and choosing to put others first. And so this morning, I wanna give you some practical advice. Um, there's maybe a lot of ways that we could view this thing, but I wanna give you three things to help, to help you analyze your life. If you are doing these three things, and then I, I believe you're on the right path. So these are three signs that you are on the right path for humility. Number one, you don't see any job as beneath you. You don't see any job as beneath you. When I was a teacher, um, I was very particular about my classroom being in order. And not because I'm a neat guy, I'm actually not neat at all, but it was, it was really, it was more of a pride thing. I, I wanted people to come in the room and think, man, this room is in, in, in control and th this, this guy is on top of things. And also, I, 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 I had a good relationship with the janitors and I, I didn't want to make them do more work. So I was constantly going around the room. Whenever I had my students do individual work, I was going around the room and I would pick up trash and, and I'd always make the kids throw stuff away. And they would, they would be like, Mr. Thompson, like, why do you keep picking up trash? That's this janitor's job. And I'm like, you little punk, you know? I'm like, like it, no, that's not a janitor's job. If we put the trash there, then we put the trash in. And, and I'm picking up after you because you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. But no, it's not beneath us to pick up trash. It's not beneath me. And I, I, I want to communicate that aspect. And I train them that, no, it's not beneath us. All right, there's no job that's beneath us. And when I became a pastor, one, one thing that really stood out, I, I remember it very distinctly, there was a morning pretty early on when I had joined this pastoral staff and the senior pastor came out and I mean, this is the senior pastor. He, he's speaking on Sunday morning. He's, he's very charismatic. It's it a, big, a big, pretty big church. And he would go around and he would pick up trash off the ground. Now, 
outside of a classroom setting, like, I don't really recognize trash. My wife will tell you, like, I just, I just don't see it, all right? all right? So, like, I don't pay attention to those things. I'm pretty oblivious, all right? And so I, I didn't notice the trash was on the ground, but he would go around picking up trash, and I was like, this is the senior pastor. What is he doing picking up trash? And so it, it stuck with me that, that that was not beneath him. And you know what, what my response was? Is the next Sunday, I got there early and I went around and made sure there was no trash because I did not want to see the senior pastor going around picking up trash because I wanted to honor him and I, I thought that was beneath him. And that's kind of like how we should be living this whole Christian community is that, no, 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 let me do that. I, I don't want you to have to do that. And everyone is doing that to each other because there is no job that's beneath us. Unfortunately, you see in Christian world all the time where there are lots of things that people don't want to do. We have people that will, will try out, you know, for worship team or something like that, and we'll be like, well, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll start you on kids. Oh, no, I don't, I don't want to teach kids, or I don't want to lead kids. I'm like more like stage time kind of adult thing. I'm like, ah, man, that, that's not the right attitude. Or we'll have people come, and, and we'll recommend a Bible study. We'll recommend Rooted, and they'll be like, oh, no, I'm kind of like... Uh, too mature for that. Like I, I, I've taught Bible studies. I, I know that because I don't really, I'd rather teach the Bible studies than attend the Bible studies. And I'm like, the, the clearest sign that you aren't mature is that you're talking about your maturity, all right? Like the, the more mature you are, the less you talk about because you realize you don't know very much, right? That, that's the sign of maturity. You're constantly growing. You're tr trying to grow. Like there, there is no situation and no person that you can't learn from. All right, that should be the, the attitude, the mentality. I mean, even from the, the, the littlest kid, you know, uh, special needs, you wanna learn something, hang around some special needs kids, all right? They, they will tell you that, man, you are nothing like Jesus, right? Like, like there is this stuff, like we can learn from everyone and there's this mentality that there's, there's, th there's things beneath us that we don't wanna do. The only thing that we should want to do is whatever Christ is leading us to do, all right? Our heart should be there is literally nothing beneath us. That's true humility. Number two, you don't have to win, which immediately disqualifies me from having any chance of being like, so I am clearly not on the right path, all right? I am working on it, I'm a work in progress. Uh, like, I hate to lose. All right, I like winning is one of my favorite things in life. All right, and so like this is very important to me, and and I have come a long way. I will have you know, I have come a long way. I I have now at a point where I can let my kids beat me in games. I can't let them beat me more than I beat them, but I can let them win occasional games. All right, that is a step forward for me because before I, I'd beat them a hundred times in a row, I wouldn't even feel bad about it. All right. But like this, this idea of like having to win, having to be the best, always comparing. And for those of you that are like, well, I, I'm not athletic, I'm not competitive, like this doesn't really apply to me. Are you willing to let other people win in arguments? All right. Are you someone who will avoid comparing yourself to anybody else because you don't need to? It's a little bit more difficult when you look at it that way because a lot of people, they want the last word. They want to win the argument. They compare themselves to other people because they want to think of how their looks compare, how their finances compare, how their kids compare, how their situation compares. Are they looking, are they looking more spiritual than other people? Like we are constantly comparing ourselves to other people. 
Humility is when you are secure in your standing as a child of God. And that's all you need to feel content and secure with who you are. You want to see other people succeed. You think about their interests ahead of your own. You lift them up, encourage them, and don't feel like you need to talk about your abilities and what you can do for the situation. You think of yourself less. You don't think less of yourself, you just think of yourself less and you think of other people more. Jesus had all the ability, all the power. He let a ragtag group of soldiers capture him when he could have blew them away with the word of his mouth. He stood before a bunch of arrogant men that falsely accused him of things, who spit in his face and smacked him, and he didn't say a word, because he didn't need to say a word. He knew who he was. He knew what his purpose was. He didn't have to prove to them that he was right. He led, got led to a cross, died between two criminals, a humiliating, painful death. And he did not think that was beneath them. He didn't feel the need to call down 10,000 angels while all of them were mocking him and saying, if you're the son of God, come on down there. Ask your father to rescue you. He didn't have to say, boom, look at this. I'll prove to you who I am. No. I'll let them carry me away to a grave. Three days later, you might see, but I don't have to, I don't have to tell it to you now. I'll let my father reveal it to you. Now that's humility. That's strength. That's power. And that earned him all the glory and honor that he now has today. All right, last one. Last sign that you are on the right path. You don't view what you have as yours to keep. You don't view what you have as yours to keep. Every good thing comes from above. Your abilities, your talents, your opportunities, your successes, your possessions, all thanks to God. And he has asked us to use them for his glory. On this life, in this life, it's all about him. And we are supposed to use it for his honor and glory. And it feels like, oh, what we just have to, we just have to give everything away. And there's part of our human nature that, that's really hard to hear and really hard to do. But over and over again, he has, Jesus has proved himself faithful. That if you will trust him with the things that you have, he will give you all your true heart's desires. He will give you that peace and joy and that love and those relationships that you're looking for, that you're longing for. If you'll just trust him. But he says you have to keep that with an open hand. We cannot be like the wicked servant who was given the talents and just hit him in a hole. Our gifts and abilities are not for our own sake. They're to be used for his glory, for his kingdom purposes. So the things that you are good at, all right, you should not use them only in self-serving ways. You should use those gifts and talents and abilities to direct people to Jesus, to grow his kingdom.
And the things that he has given us, sometimes he is going to ask for them back. We've got to be willing. Yes, our money, but I'm talking about so much more than that. Our time, our resources. What about our kids? This is one of the hardest things to see as God's rather than ours. What they go through, what we want for them, how they turn out, we have a hard time giving that back to God. But they're not ours. We're stewards. We're doing the best we can to raise them the right way, but ultimately they're God's, and we have to give them back. We, we should be raising them in a way that they are trying to, to make them independent followers of Christ so that they go out into the world and they follow Jesus. That is, the, that is the purpose of raising our kids. They're not for ours to hold on to and fulfill our lives. Our job opportunities. To lose a job. We don't shake our fists at God. That wasn't ours to keep. Another one that's really hard. We have had, we have had a lot of deaths in this church the past couple years. And sometimes it's hard to let go of those gifts that God has given us, those spouses, those parents, those children. And there are a lot of people that turn to bitterness because they don't have a proper perspective in this area, that they weren't, they didn't belong to them in the first place. They were gifts. And like Job, we have to say, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, because it all belongs to him. And when we actually get to a point where we can say, Lord, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have open hands with everything you give me. I'm not gonna do this with anything. Anything that you put in these hands, they're gonna stay open for you to take back out, and I will just do whatever you want me to do. And if you live that life that way, you don't deal with bitterness. If you live life that way, you don't deal with disappointment. You look at everything as a new opportunity to give God glory for what he gives and what he takes away. And that is what he is challenging us to live if we're gonna truly have a servant's heart. So my challenge for you this morning as a church is to own this, to examine your life. Are any of these three signs tripping you up? Do, do you have this evidence in your life? Because I'm telling you, if you're willing to live this way and you don't have to be recognized, you don't have to receive the credit, you don't have to let other people know just how talented you are, if you are willing just to serve and think of other people and put their interests ahead of you, I am telling you that Jesus will raise you up. He humbles the proud and he exalts the humble. And we need to be a humble church that is willing to serve God in any way, shape, or form, willing to do anything that he has asked us to do and calls us to do. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for modeling what true humility is. And this is hard. It's not easy to live this way. but we have no excuses because of how you lived your life. You modeled for us a type of humility that we couldn't possibly attain to. Help us be willing 
to serve others like you serve them, to love others that, as you have loved them. Help us be a church that is not known for wanting to be right, to always get the last word, but be a church that is confident in you, confident as, as children of God, confident in the truth of your scripture, that we project love in every single way. Lord, thank you for all that you've done for us. Help us to live, you with a, live for you with a servant's heart. And I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Church, as always, the prayer team will be down here. Please use them if you need them. Church, we love you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Renovation Church Sermon Podcast. Find out more about following Jesus and building his kingdom at therenovation.church.